Do you remember what your college dorm room looked like during finals week? Or how about your toddler's toy room after a play date? If you're like most of us, both environments were a total chaotic disaster 99% of the time. And while a messy dorm room isn't catastrophic to your overall well-being, messy data can be to your institution's enrollment marketing strategy. Most admissions professionals are drowning in their data. They've got email metrics in one system, yield data in another, and social media profiling selects stuck on their desktop. What they need is a data strategy, a comprehensive roadmap that guides them on where, how, and when to spend money, and where, how, and when not to. They don't just need the data. They need to know how to leverage it to meet their enrollment goals. And that's what our partners over at Inroads Analytics do so well. Inroads Analytics is the leader in predictive analytics and data modeling in higher education, which is really just a fancy way of saying that they equip schools to make sense of all of the data points relevant to prospective students and offer clear insight into where an admissions team's time and money is best spent. Think of the Inroads Analytics team as a cross between Sherlock Holmes and Warren Buffett. They'll help you solve the mysteries and uncover the stories your data is telling, and then coach you on how to invest in a sustainable enrollment marketing strategy that maximizes ROI. Discover how Inroads Analytics empowers you with the strategic data that you need to recruit students more efficiently and effectively. Learn more about how to take the road best traveled at inroads.ai forward slash enrollify. Again, that's inroads.ai forward slash enrollify. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the show. Zach here. Today, I am chatting with my friend, Gerald Stanley, who is the CEO of Inroads Analytics. Welcome to the show, Gerald. How are you? Hey, it's good to be here. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no, it's it's fun to talk in um, this format. We've done a, a video series together for an Enrollify exclusives campaign, and now we're getting you on the pod, which is uh, really exciting. Um, so, Gerald, I love to just kind of in the first couple of questions, help our listeners get to understand who you are and a little bit more about kind of like how you think and what you do. So I want you to walk us through your morning routine. So your alarm goes off and it's a work day. So it's you know not a Saturday or Sunday. Uh, what happens next? Like walk us through your morning routine. Sure. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I, I start off by hitting the snooze. I hit it once. Just once. Just months. once. Okay. It's always one. Uh, so, uh, it helps me just to, to lay there and, you know, kind of get adjusted to, you know, that I'm getting ready to wake up, but I jump out of bed. I put my Fitbit on cause I always, uh, track my steps for the day. And, uh, then I usually go either run or go lift. Uh, but my, uh, my youngest dog puppy always follows me downstairs. So he gets to go, uh, on his morning bathroom break at 6 a.m. So, yeah, so then he follows me down and uh, I get prepared for the morning by going on doing some sort of exercise. So that's that's my my initial morning. And then usually uh, I take take my girls to school and then head and go get my, my coffee. But I'm a decaf guy. So decaf guy. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I try to do the, the, the caffeinated stuff and it just gets me like all just jittery on the inside. It's like, you know what? 
I like the taste of it. All right. So let's just, you know, I'll just stick to decaf. So, and then, fascinating. uh, fascinating. I uh, honestly I have to say, Gerald, sorry to interrupt you, but I don't know that I've met too many people that are coffee people, but like decaf coffee people, unless like you're, you know, you're pregnant and you can't have caffeine for a period of time. I get that. <laughs> but like, this is, this might be a first. So, um, yeah, yeah. I enjoy it. And you know, just cream and sugar something simple. So yeah. I got over the old uh, Starbucks and all the fancy drinks. I just, you know, cream and sugar. That's the way I do it. So wonderful. So then you get into the office at some point because you, you do go into the office most days, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I have a, you know, four kids and, uh, you know, my wife and three dogs. And if I stick around home, it's just going to be uh, too busy <laughs> for me. So I, I, I hightail it out of the, out of home and get to the office and, and I can, you know, concentrate. I enjoy being with my coworkers and, uh, you know, it's just a good environment to, to be in. So, yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It's like a year and a half, I guess almost like two years ago now, um, when I was doing this podcast, I would have never thought to like ask somebody like, do you go into the office? <laughs> and now it's like, yeah. now it's like, you've got to ask it because it's like, Oh, yeah, you know, you can't, sure. as, you can't assume. Um, well, great. So, uh, I'm super pumped for our conversation today. We're going to talk all about predictive analytics and really talk a little bit uh, about the strategies that you all have uh, created and are implementing for schools, uh, help people understand sort of what predictive is, why it matters. But before we sort of dive into sort of the meat of the conversation, can you just give us the quick little elevator pitch for Inroads Analytics? Uh, you know, for those who haven't watched the Enrollify exclusives, if you haven't, we highly recommend that you do to get a better sense of uh, Gerald and his company and kind of the cool work that they're doing, the really, really innovative, innovative work that they're doing in higher ed. But for those who haven't seen the video series, Gerald, just give us the quick crash course on who you all are and what you do. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So we are incubated out of higher ed. So we have a nice foundation, um, you know, know the insides and outsides of, of the, the needs of higher ed and enrollment and marketing. So Inroads Analytics was formed a couple of years ago. Uh, we just had our two-year anniversary on October fifteenth. Uh, you know, we were we were formed to um, create uh, predictive analytics, not just for you know the high-level executive teams, but to really take data and put it down at the user level. Because as as a counselor, an admissions counselor, as an as an institution, um, you know, you're responsible for a lot of revenue for the for the institution, right? Yeah. So. Uh, the best way to do it is provide good predictive analytics at every stage of the enrollment funnel, not just whether it's, you know, a prospect's going to come or not, but predictive at who's likely to fill out an application, you know, who's likely to protect, you know, pay a matriculation fee. Hmm. Uh, so we do, we do granular level predictive analytics so that we can uh, create actionable uh, insights for our, you know, our, our counselors and directors to make daily decisions. And, and then we push that data also into the hands of market, a marketing team. So where should you be, uh, you know, uh, you know, spending your time, energy and money? You know, where should you be marketing to? What, you know, maybe even you do some geofencing. Uh, so we help, you know, identify your markets, even high schools, uh, help you, you know, on the counselor level, know where to travel to. Uh, so there's all kinds of areas in which predictive when done at a granular level can really make you uh, help you make decisions. And that's really why En-ROADS analytics was, was formulated was so that those who are on the hook for revenue at the institution can make decisions on a daily basis 
And, those, and that data is updated daily so that, you know, what you do today makes a difference tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. So well said. And, you know, I think that when for, for folks who are used to implementing some amount of predictive in sort of their their day to day work, I feel like most of the time it looks like before like a, a big name buy, like if you're, uh, you're if you're in enrollment management and you're gearing up to sort of buy 100,000 names or a couple hundred thousand names for a search campaign you will use in all likelihood predictive as a part of that process. Um, but I, I love what you just said about sort of like thinking about predictive as something that is actually used and actionable in the day-to-day. Cause I don't think that that's the way that most of us think about using this as a strategy. It, it typically seems like something that is a little bit more like laborious and, and, you know, time intensive. And therefore it's really only something that we can justify doing, a, you know, one or two times a year. Um, Cause it sounds right. It sounds like it's like a lot of work, a lot of an Anytime you hear someone talk about sort of like, hey, we, we want to run an analysis on sort of your data, immediately I feel like everyone like, you know, sits straight around their seat and is like, oh God, well, this is going to take like seven months to kind of like get together. And then we're going to get a report with all these insights that are good insights, but stuff that we're not going to, you know, be able to use because we don't have money or we don't have time or whatever. So uh, while most folks listening in have probably heard about predictive and are somewhat familiar uh, with it, probably for most folks within the context of uh, any sort of name buy that they might uh, regularly do uh, at their at their school, can you just help explain, you know, what predictive is and uh, why it's especially relevant in in today's market for those who again aren't aren't really familiar with this and or only are used to thinking about predictive predictive within the context of a very limited scope, um, which again, nine times out of 10 comes down to sort of name buys. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So we get that question, you know, quite a bit actually. So, so when you analyze, let's just put it in the context of a name buy. Uh, So you can actually look at historical data and you can identify, you know, where have we, uh, where have students come from historically? And you can even plot that on a Google map or whatever, you know, mapping utility you have. And you can easily look at, you know, here's uh, here's where our students have come from, right? So that's a historical look. Maybe it's you know more business analytics than anything. And you say, okay, these are the areas we want to focus in on when it comes to our name buy. So that's a methodology for you know buying names. But what predictive is is it's a step further than that. So what we do is we actually enhance the data, uh, whether that be purchasing data, uh, you know, use census data. You know, there's lots of data that's available. So. When it comes to predictive analytics, what you do is you identify a target. So the target is, you know, in the in the instance of, let's say, um, you know, a name by for a particular zip code, we would say a student that got all the way to the end of the enrollment cycle, uh, who's willing to say that, yes, they would come to the institution, whether they actually did or not. But they got all the way to the end of the, yeah. of the, uh, the funnel. We would identify that student as a target. Right. So there's your target. And then there, all the rest of the ones that didn't make it that far, we would say they're not a target, right? So what, what happens is, is when you identify targets, and let's say, you know, you identified in the last five years, you've identified maybe three or 4,000 prospects, and you say, okay, these are, our, these are our targets. Our not targets might be in that 10,000 to 15,000 range. And so what you do is you say, okay, what are the correlating data points that go into making the target? So, for instance, the data point might be income. It might be distance from campus. I mean, there's, there's, we've identified like 150 variables plus. So, 
you take that data and you run it through some algorithms, predictive analytics algorithms, you know, for lack of better uh, explanation. But uh, what it does, it scores those variables and it helps you identify, okay, these are the four or five variables that go into these targets. So then what we do is we take that data and say these five variables are most important when it comes to predicting the likelihood that a, a particular market will produce a student at your institution. So then what we do is we score all the markets, right? So we wow. score all markets in the United States. And then it comes back with a score and saying, here's the likelihood that this particular area might produce uh, for your institution. So that's kind of a, you know, a, an elementary uh, version of, you know, predictive analytics for sure. But it helps you understand what the difference between looking at historical business analytics and what predictive actually does. It looks at historical data, but it utilizes much bigger data set in order to analyze and, and come up with your, your new markets. Uh, thank you for that. That was a super, super helpful um, distinction too between sort of just business analytics um, and and predictive analytics. And I think that that, that that separation has, you know, helped me actually really understand sort of like the the big differences in approach here and strategies here. Can you talk a little bit about sort of like why predictive is relevant today? Like what are what's going on in the industry that makes this particular approach to recruitment um, sort of like a, a necessary tool to have in your in your toolbox as a, an admissions counselor or as a as a you know marketer, really anyone in leadership like should be thinking thinking through sort of their approach to data strategy. And so, you know, what what is it from your perspective about today's sort of like market that makes this particular approach so attractive and, and really just so needed? Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest thing is competition. So it has just become very, very competitive in, in education, you know, not just higher ed, but all the things that are surrounding some sort of education that plays into you know you know the current environment that is in that is higher ed. Um, so when you look at uh, you know when I talk to VPs and, and those who've been doing this for twenty plus years, you know back in the nineties it was easy to get students to come to the institution, right? Yeah. There's a lot more students going to institute you know higher ed. The cost was less, you know, relatively speaking. And then, you know, you look at uh, just brand awareness and name recognition, and it was very, very, you know, according to the VPs that I've talked to is that, you know, it was much, much easier to do. On this day and age, you know, as the internet has evolved over the last 20 plus years, the amount of information that is available uh, has made it very challenging for institutions to compete with the, the, uh, the, the other types of educations that, are, that, that is, you know, available. So yeah. it's very, very competitive. So you can, you know, you can get, uh, you know, these these micro credentials like you can take an eight week course and become an expert in, you know, whatever, you know, uh, you know, whether it's Microsoft or, you know, maybe it's Google like a coding boot camp. Yeah, 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 exactly. Those are that's that's com that's a competition to higher ed. Right. So, uh, you know, the, some of the other things that that are going into this is it's become you know highly competitive because of decline in enrollment. Uh, so, you know, just in the last few years, there's been, you know, you know, three or four million decrease in the number of you know students that are even going to consider higher ed as you know something they'll do after after college right so uh, the other thing too that plays into this is and this has come about because of those you know those micro credentials or those you know those certificates or whatever is that you know if you get three years through a four-year degree you know businesses and, and and the workforce doesn't actually look at your three years of 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 college as something that is accomplished right so you, unless you complete that four-year degree it's not even you know it's not even looked at as something that is valuable 
because of, you know, you're actually pursuing a particular degree, right? So that's another part of that competition that, you know, you're playing into an eight-week course versus a four-year degree. Um, another one that's it's a huge deal is, you know, a trades and apprenticeships, right? So, hmm. you know, looking to, you know, be a, uh, you know, a, you know, working electrical or working, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. Any you know, sort of from blue that collar. Yeah. Yeah. Any sort of, yeah. Blue yeah, collar absolutely. Side and, yeah. <laughs> and honestly, those, those industries have, you know, the demand has been so high and that the, you know, the, the pay is going up tremendously for those who are going into those types of work environments. And, and, you know, it's become very, very challenging for these institutions to compete with that. Right. So the other thing too, and this is, this has always been, you know, it's not, I shouldn't say it's always been, but the price of a college degree is, is, you know, continues to rise. Right. And it just, that's just something that plays into it. And then finally kind of that biggest thing that we uh, kind of talk about here when we're talking to our really in our webinars and things is really educating institutions on that 2025 demographic, uh, the, 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 the enrollment cliff. Right. Yeah. So talking about the decline in birth rates in 2008. And uh, so all this is just playing into you know, this, this, uh, you know, this competitive environment and why predictive analytics has become such a valuable tool to have because, you know, more and more institutions are buying a lot more names. They're trying more methodology. They're, they're, they're branching out into, uh, you know, more markets. Uh, you know, so there are all these things they're doing. So in order to make decisions that are not going to just kill your budget or, you know, overwork your, your, your counselors and your, and your directors is you got it. You, you have to take into account the data that is available to you and, and do predictive in order to make daily decisions to save money, same time, be more efficient and, 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 and build your classes that the way you need to, in order to support your institution. Yeah. And I, I think that um, what's so interesting about everything that, that you're saying is, um, the, the whole like daily decision component, right? So I think like at the end of the day, right, uh, no one in higher ed would say that they have too much time on their hands and too many resources, right? And so everyone's struggling <laughs> yeah, with time. Sure. Everyone, you know, has small teams that people are wearing like 87 different hats. Um, and at the end of the day, right, like our, everyone's most valuable resource is time and the institutions that figure out how to empower their teams to use that time most efficiently and effectively are the ones that are going to win or have a better chance of winning, right? So uh, walk us through sort of like what like a daily, uh, it, it, let's say somebody has their predictive hat on, they're, you know, decked out with their blazer, their shoes, they're completely clothed in like great predictive analytics in terms of sort of like a, they've, they've gone all in right on, on this approach to, uh, and really sort of this framework for student recruitment. So like what, what do some of those decisions look like? Like if you are empowered with, uh, a, a strong data strategy and if you've done everything right, you've checked all the boxes, you've, you know, dotted all the I's crossed all the T's you've got your, your ducks in a row. Like what would it actually look like for an institution that is like, uh, you, doing everything that they can to get the most out of uh, a, a predictive framework when it comes to student recruitment. Sure, absolutely. So sometimes it's best to use examples, but so for on a, on a given day, like, you know, you think about a, 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 an admissions counselor's day-to-day, -day, right? So they're making phone calls, text messaging, uh, updating data in their CRM. Well, the biggest thing is, is, you know, who should I be, you know, looking at, right? Yeah. So when it comes to your recruiting efforts, you know, give me that next 100, so to speak, right? So I start my Monday off. These are the 100 you're going to focus in on today 
or this week. And you might say, you know, from a strategic standpoint, you know, anyone that's currently in, in uh, has completed the application, we're going to work on making sure that, you know, they uh, get their matriculation fee, pay, uh, fee paid, right? So they go through that process. And uh, so then they focus in on the next 100 who are currently in that process and who are likely to actually pay their matriculation fee, right? Or, you know, you have a, a pool of uh, engaged users. Let's get them started filling out an application, right? Or, you know, focus in on getting their FAFSA filled out, right? So utilizing that data in a strategic manner so that, you know, who do I focus in on? Uh, yeah. Another thing to do is, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, you look at, uh, you know, an inquiry that comes in, right? So one of the ways to save money is you actually run that inquiry through predictive and say, the likelihood of this student coming, you know, is a hundred percent, right? That's, that's, you know, that's a lot, right? Yeah. We're not going to send him our $15 mailer, right? Mm. We're going to, we're going to send him a postcard thanking them. We're going to call them, make sure that they get through the next phase of the process. But somebody that might be in that 60 to 80 percentile range, you might send them that $15, um, you know, nice brochure or nice mailer, whatever that is that you've spent a lot of time, energy and money on in order to get them to go to that next stage. You, 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 you've, lo you've looked at historical data that says, you know, this is the impact that that brochure has on that particular. And then anyone below that, you would you would have a different strategy. So. You, you immediately realize revenue, you know, like savings and costs by utilizing predictive. So that's another methodology. Uh, and that's really more on the, the marketing side of, of what you do. The other thing too, and this is, you know, an easy one, right? So when you're getting ready to buy those names, use predictive and, and decide where it is you want to, to, to focus in on, right? So those are, those are three easy examples uh, to, to, to utilize and predictive on a daily day-to-day -day basis in order to, you know, either save money move prospects through the funnel and, and and make decisions on a daily basis. I, yeah, I, I love those examples. And I also think about like, you know, when it comes to marketing in particular, uh, a lot of folks spend a lot of time and energy and resources trying to decide like what their content strategy should look like over the course of a year, right? And obviously SEO is something that is, uh, is it's like finally made its way into higher ed as sort of like a talking point and something that's on like top of mind for folks. And, you know, at the end of the day, most schools don't have as many resources as they would like to have to publish lots of great content, right? And do good keyword research and ensure that they've got systems and processes and pathways for everyone kind of coming off of um, organic search, right? And and I think what's cool about predictive is in theory, like let's say that 80% of your targets for a specific program, maybe it's your comp sci program, actually originated from organic search. And let's say you knew that, right? Well then, you know, in theory, you don't necessarily need to spend as much time developing like new content, right? New content strategy. If, if you've got 80% of your, your target people kind of already coming in through the content that does exist on your site that is associated with your computer science program, maybe instead, right? If you've only got 30, 40% of your targets coming in via organic search, but for let's say your English program, but that number, like that percentage has doubled in the past year and you wanna grow that even more, maybe it makes sense to think about content strategy and your SEO strategy in terms of building up sort of content around your English program or your, your you know literature offerings, whatever it might be. Like, so I guess what I'm getting at here is 
What's super cool about predictive too is you can take it a step further and you can say, okay, what does this mean for where time and energy should be spent even from like a content development standpoint, even from like the kind of student stories that we want to tell. Maybe there's, you know, a diversity uh, um, um, uh, goal for the for a college or university, right? And, you know, maybe what you need to, maybe your data shows that, hey, if you want to do this, if you want to do this well, if you want to, you know, increase diversity around, uh, of students in these particular programs, the way to do that is through video storytelling. Maybe that there's some data that suggests that that is influential in sort of a student's journey to enrollment. Then you can double down on telling those stories as opposed to other stories. So what's really, really cool about this, um, I think, is it goes, as you're saying, it goes all the way to the top of like this, this data, these insights should inform every decision that you're making about the kind of email to write when to send that email, the kind of content to create, what format that content should be in. And if you're doing this right, if you're empowered with like good data, you should be able to know that down to sort of like the individual program, right? And I think that that's where, it's probably like a little bit more advanced, but that's where things get especially exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, I always get, uh, you know, kind of in the weeds when it comes to what we do and because my background is computer science, so I'm a little nerdy, right? So one of the, the the nice things about you know what we've put together at Inroads is that we've put together an infrastructure that can handle any type of of you know whether you hypothesize about you know particular content or particular programs. Uh, the sky's the limits. Like we can start to hypothesize that you know we think that this you know this is happening, and then we put together predictive analytic predictive models that say yes or no that that is not happening. But if it is happening, then we can actually churn through hundreds of thousands of records on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, one of our clients, I just put a proposal out there. They, they, they have um, 32 predictive models that we're considering to go on a daily basis be run. And, uh, you know, the infrastructure that we put in place, you know, 10 years ago, you, you know, you couldn't accomplish that. Right. Yeah. But in this day and age with, you know, the way we build out this infrastructure software as a service, uh, you know, we can take that data, we can hypothesize, hypothesize the things that you were just talking about, Zach, and then we can actually put together these models and run it on a daily basis so that you have actionable data on a daily basis right in front of you and, and in front of the people that it matters to, right? Yeah. And what's uh, super neat about this too is, I mean, think about how validating I imagine, like if this is working, right, and, and this infrastructure is like uh, a thriving, what this looks like is it looks like your admissions team, right, coming in to work logging onto their email, uh, understanding, oh, hey, here are the 10 people that I should be speaking to today. And the odds of those 10 people, right, like if, if the model's, you know, working, right, the the idea being that, uh, you know, of those, those are the 10 most qualified people for me to be speaking with today. If I reach out to them, at least a handful of them should respond. And that's so validating for the admissions council. I think like you hear, I hear stories all the time of, you know, tons of turnover, lots of burnout uh, in higher ed. And a big reason that the admissions counselors that I talk to say that they end up leaving is like, it's a it's a really hard job, right? It's like, it's like cold calling a lot of the time. Um, and it's like traditional, like outdated sales. And what's cool about this sort of framework is, I would imagine it's just so empowering to to the team to feel like, oh my gosh, wow, like, okay, I, I, I have focused my energy and time on these particular individuals because right now, today, these are the people that the model has said are worth me reaching out to or are worth me trying to schedule a phone call with. 
So I'm going to do that. And again, the 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 uh, odds of that meeting actually happening or that conversation actually happening go way, 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 way up than when you're just like shooting through the dark or even just using, a, you know, a little bit more of like a traditional lead scoring uh, uh, model that your CRM might provide, for instance. Um, right. So, Gerald, I know that we're kind of like talking uh, very specific uh, about these very specific examples here, which I think it's which I hope is helpful for our listeners. But what are some like just questions or scenarios that like generally speaking, predictive can help schools solve? Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's a little bit of, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit in the examples, but uh, you know, you know, who should we focus on from recruiting efforts, right? So, you know, you, you think about your day-to-day, your weekly efforts, who should you focus in on? Um, you know, you can even, you can even look at, you know, where should be, we, we should be running our ad campaigns. So you look at, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, you know, click, whether it's, you know, the things you talked about with SEO, uh, maybe it's, you know, video based, um, you know, it's, you know, you look at historically, you know, where have our leads come from and how they get to the, that, you know, how they get to that particular, uh, you know, call to action. And then you just back it out and you look at it and say, you know, from a predictive standpoint, not only should we run these types of ads, but these are the areas we should run those ads in. So that's, you know, some of the, the, the questions that you can answer from a marketing standpoint. And again, that hypothesize, we, we think that this is to be true. So let's, let's either prove it or disprove it, right? Um, so, I mean, some of the other things is, you know, when you, when you look at, you know, we talked about the, the, the shrinking pool of students, yeah. uh, you, you talk about, you know, you know, where are we most competitive? Right. And so one of the things that we've done at inroads analytics is not only just take and do predictive analytics for certain markets, but we also have, you know, put together, uh, you know, what we call the alumni power score. Right. So we actually overlay these two data points. And so that you can say, okay, we're not, you know, we're, we're likely to produce students from this particular area, but we also have a very strong alumni presence or influence, we should say influence, not just presence, uh, because that's what the algorithm develops is what's the influence or the brand awareness that this particular market has. And so when it comes to being competitive or how do we be more competitive in a market, you know, we take these two data points, we overlay each other and say, well, these are your no brainers. That's what I refer to. And these are your no brainer markets where you should be focusing in on. Right. And so, uh, you know, those are some of the things that you can do from, you know, marketing and from, you know, from, from your, your admission side of things. Right. Yeah. What I, what I like about this too, is I, I, again, my mind always goes to sort of like, okay, how do people that are leading marketing teams or leading admissions teams kind of, uh, do this very, very practically in, in sort of like their day to day. And, you know, one of the things that both, uh, enrollment teams and marketing teams sort of struggle with is like when a faculty member, right. Or like a chair in particular comes and says, Hey, like I want more, um, uh, you know, resource marketing resources allocated to my program. Hey, I, you know, why aren't I getting, you know, enough inquiries to this program or, Hey, you know, I'm not seeing enough traffic on my site, uh, on my particular program pages. Like what gives, is there any spend going to promoting my programs? Right. I think this happens a lot at the graduate level in particular. Um, but right. One of the things when, if this infrastructure is set up from my understanding and actually done right is like, this actually empowers marketers and admissions folks to go to faculty members and say, Hey, guess what? You know, we're not, we actually aren't running Google display ads for your program right now because our data suggests that most of your con- most of your uh, quality inquiries and quality apps actually come from these stories that we tell uh, with video that live on your program pages, or most of your inquiries are actually coming from this viral blog post that you wrote or a team member wrote three years ago. And the SEO traction that that 
post has is actually generating your highest quality inquiries. Like if you want to generate more inquiries, our data suggests that you should go publish more content on that topic, right? Like go go write four more of those blog articles around that particular you know theme or topic and that should solve your quality lead gen problem according to our our uh, analysis. And so what I love about this is it it, it helps folks think because again, the temptation is like everyone thinks that they need to be everywhere doing everything all the time and no one can, right? And so we need to we need to stop saying that. We need to stop kind of like selling that narrative and instead like but, but, you know, the counter is also, you know, can't be true, which is you shouldn't do anything and marketing doesn't matter and, you know, content <laughs> isn't important, right? So the, the balance there is like, no, no, no. What it's really about is understanding where at the end of the day are you generating the quality interest that you need to justify sort of growth in a particular program? And then what are the mechanics that are leading to that growth? And if this model is accurate, what it's suggesting is that not everybody is going to get all the same sort of like effect based off of all the same sort of channels and all the same uh, uh, tactics. And instead, right, all of our time is better spent understanding what actually yields, right, great results, and then doubling down on our time and energy investment in those particular areas. And what it sounds like is that predictive done right really is sort of the vehicle through which empowers us to have those conversations and make those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, I mean, it, it even goes beyond just your, your marketing efforts. You can even, uh, I talked to one institution in Eastern Ohio and they understand that when they put together three camps that are geographically not even close to the institution, these three camps yield majority of their, their, uh, their, their students at the institution. And so they've actually taken, you know, their data and their historical data and they've decided that, you know, in addition to their marketing to, you know, maybe fill in that 40% that they're missing, 60% of their students come from these camps, right? So it, it goes beyond just, you know, marketing efforts. It goes on to, you know, as a as an institution, part of our marketing efforts is, is putting together these either events or putting together like you get out into the community. Um, so it's, 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 it's helping to inform uh, decision-making in, in, in a holistic uh, way so that you can go to like a you know, I always give the example that, you know, you go to the computer science department and say, you know, let's go to uh, this particular area and let's host a some sort of computer science competition. Right. And uh, so you historically start to build data and look at that data and decide, did this yield for us? And if it does, then, you know, you know, you start to take that historical data into account and understanding that, yeah, we don't have to run a pay-per-click advertising campaign. What we're doing is we're going to just take the, 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 that dollar amount and that budget and we're going to apply it to, you know, this particular event. So it, it informs holistically in, in your marketing and your admissions process. Yeah, and I think that that's what is just so beautiful about this particular model is that it also, it, it marries both, right? Um, and I think that in a, in a world where marketing and admissions are more and more coming together and they're like coming to the same table to brainstorm sort of like how do we grow enrollment uh, and student satisfaction at our institution overall. So this sort of, I guess, uh, this framework and this data, I think really do empower both teams to have the insights that they need to collaborate uh, more closely together. Um, so, uh, Gerald, talk to us about like, how to build, like what, what are the sort of like the core pillars or core tenants of sort of like a good solid like data strategy? Like let's say folks are like, okay, hey, I, you guys are clearly talking about all these examples. It's resonating with me. Like how do folks even start? Like what, what does it look like to kind of build a, a data strategy from soup to nuts? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to, you know, strategic data, right? So, you know, what does that actually mean? It, it when we look at it from inroads perspective, we want to, you know, 
identify historical data, you know, geographic data, demographic data, behavioral data. What do you currently collect today and where are you deficient? Yeah. Right. So when we look at this, we we typically will look at it in a you know a five year scenario. So because if you're going to do predictive analytics and really do uh, you know it's, it, this kind of data science, then you really have to commit to it and then really work the the plan over a period of time, right? So you know collecting some of that data in order to uh, to run predictive on it in the future. So that's the thing that you know having good foresight. So you know some institutions that are kind of in kind of the you know. Uh, oh no mode, you know, like what's, you know, things aren't going well right now. They have a hard time wrapping their brain around, let's put together a five-year plan. Sure. Uh, sure. But in order to get out of that mode, you do have to go through that process. And, uh, you know, there's some institutions that are, you know, obviously better off than others, but that's where we come in to, to help them understand, you know, what should you be collecting and how to, how to go about it? Because Honestly, we, we collect a lot of data because I don't know exactly which variables are going to correlate to your targets, right? Sure. So what's true for my alma mater is not true for your alma mater, right? Yeah. So not all institutions are created equal and they're not going after the exact same students. So that's why we collect as much data as possible strategically, uh, whether it be in your CRM, through your financial aid tools, through your, you know, your, your, your student information system, whatever it may be where we're collecting that data. And then we put together a plan to make sure that you are collecting all the data that is pertinent to running predictive in the future. And some of that data may be very specific to your institution and no other institution actually has that particular data. Right. So, I mean, that's that's kind of a, a, a high level view of what strategic data or what a strategic data plan looks right like. So, and then, you know, you, you talk about, you know, what does a plan look like to work it over time? Uh, so first of all, that, 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 that foundation is, is put, you know, put that plan in place to gather the right data. And then once you've collected that data, have a plan for being able to analyze it, right? So, uh, you know, historically, a lot of IR departments are those teams, right? So, the part that an IR team might struggle with is that they don't really support the end user most yeah. of the time. They're being pulled in a million different directions. So not just, you know, enrollment, you know, they're, they're doing, you know, whether they should offer programs or, you know, all kinds of, of things are being pulled in every, with, uh, every different direction by a president. So having a plan for putting together good analytics so that it's actionable, so it's in front of the people that it makes a difference for, uh, whether it's, you know, it's relevant, it's up to date, uh, you know, is it, it's, uh, you know, because good, good analytics from that predictive data is going to provide you with direction, right? And that's ultimately what you want out of a strategic data plan, right? Is putting that actionable data in front of you so that you can make decisions. So, you know, you have data science and decision science, right? So the data, how you should collect it, how you should run predictive models for it, and the decision science, what do we do with that data? And you know, are we accessing and looking at them the right way? And then really the third pillar for a strategic, I should say admissions or enrollment plan is, you know, take that data, analyze it, put together good analytics, make it, make it actionable. And then make sure that the people that are actually, you know, uh, executing the plan, they can actually execute it well and do it at, at a high level. So yeah. from our, our perspective, doing uh, academic sales development is a big deal because, you know, I'm going to push this good data to counselors who have to be able to read the data, have to be able to read the reports. And then they have to turn around and put on their sales cap and be able to do strategic sales. So, 
you know, simple things like identifying red flags and opportunities within a particular prospect or a particular sale, so to speak. Uh, those are just some of the things that we help provide so that from, you know, from A to Z, you build the plan, you know, you analyze it and execute it and you have the ability to do that. That's where, you know, we, we, we put together that kind of that roadmap or that, that uh, those three pillars, so to speak, uh, to, to, to execute on that, that particular plan. Yeah. And I mean, it's what you're describing too sounds like this is like a very, like it's a very dynamic process. Right. And so in the, in the same way in which the journey to enrollment has become so dynamic, right. And so unpredictable and like, you know, oftentimes in, in enrollment managers and even marketing communications professionals think about sort of like, you know, historically we've thought about the student journey as like somewhat linear, right? Like somebody's a suspect and then they're a prospect and then they're an inquiry and then they're an app and then they enroll and then eventually they are a deposited student. Right. But in actuality, it's like way, it's, it, it's, it's a lot messier, right? Like the, the pathway to enrollment is incredibly fragmented and there's lots of twists and turns, right? You're communicating with the student via text and all of a sudden like they ghost you for like a month, right? And then they come back on, on Instagram with like a question to your admissions counselor or whatever it is. And so like it, what, what's cool about if, from my understanding of like if, if we do this right, um, is that in theory, right, all this, this data strategy is taking into account, right, an incredible number of variables such that it's accounting for sort of like this understanding that the journey to enrollment for each individual prospect is going to be different. And it's really about understanding at the end of the day, for your admissions team, for your marketing team, where is my energy most useful in this particular moment, right? And then being able to execute on that. To your earlier point, like, hey, I've got, you know, $5,000 left in the bank for uh, my budget this month for marketing spend. Um, who should I actually, I can't send brochures to everybody in my inquiry pool right now. Um, let me just figure out uh, how to send, you know, a more dynamic brochure to 80% uh, of my targets, right? Or like all, all of my targets, all the people that fall into sort of like my target category. And then to your, to your earlier example, a postcard to everybody else, like those sorts of decisions, right? Like Enrollment managers can't afford to wait months in order to like get enough data back to think through to you know look at their budget and then decide sort of like can we buy this you know a new brochure or not can we run this particular search campaign or not can we spend money on a video campaign or not like we need that data at our fingertips and it sounds like if done well setting this infrastructure up actually does empower us to know in real time the answer to that question of yes you can invest in a video campaign and it would be worthwhile you know uh it would be worth all of your effort because guess what 80% of the people right now in your pool that haven't started an app are are all part of your target profile and guess what you know they respond very well to video so go make that video right and i, I love what I love most about this is, and I'm always thinking about the user, I'm always thinking about the marketer and the admissions counselor. It's like, it makes everyone's jobs easier. It makes the, it makes sort of like the likelihood of enrollment um, feel so much greater. And I think at the end of the day, like it will boost enrollment because beyond all the, all the, all the data, what it also does is again, it just reinvigorates your team to feel like the things that they're doing and the decisions that they are making, right, are actually paying off. They're actually yielding fruit. And that, while very hard to measure, right, I think that that does add an incredible amount of confidence to your team, which 
and then makes them even more inspired, right? And more excited to be a little bit more dynamic at that recruitment event. And in turn, probably also helps to, you know, increase enrollment at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, that, you know, one of the things that you said there is it gives them more confidence. So when you have good data in front of you and you've analyzed it properly and put together predictive analytics, and when you have that, you know, $5,000 that you're going to spend, you actually utilize that data uh, in, a, in a way that makes you confident that you're going to spend it in the right manner. And then also when you have to justify it to your executives, why did you spend this money on this particular, um, you know, whether it be marketing effort or travel or whatever it may be, you have empirical information and data right there in front of you that says, well, this is the reason I made this decision. Yeah. And that helps you and supports you and gives you confidence and actually gives you peace in decision-making to be able to, to look at the data and say, this is, this is how we're going to approach uh, whatever action or, or a decision that we're going to make. Love it. Well, I have just one final question for you. I guess I have two final questions, but um, first off, Gerald, like if, if you were to sort of advise and encourage folks who are inspired by this conversation and want to get started on something like how, how do folks kind of think through the process in order to, get from where they are today, which is, let's say they've got a bunch of data, but no strategic data plan. They haven't run their data through uh, any special algorithm that uh, might be akin to the one that you all have, but they're, they're interested in what we're talking about here. What are sort of like the steps that people would need to take to go from, you know, not doing anything to this ideal state that we're talking about where admissions counselors are getting push notifications to their phone and they know exactly who they should be texting and calling and emailing in any given moment. Well, yeah. For, so first of all, you know, the decision to, to, to go in that direction is, is, is the key, right? So, you know, whether it's a VP or president or whoever's making those decisions is deciding that we do need to go in a direction where we're being more strategic with our data, right? So that's key. That's that's the first. So you have to have, you know, support by the executive team in order to even make it happen. So that way, if there is any type of transition or, or that, you know, someone at the top has made the decision and point them in the right direction, right? So that's the key and uh, the, the, the first step. The second step is to identify, you know, kind of the you know, where are we at today? Right. Yeah. You know, kind of the state of the, you know, of, of the union, so to speak. Uh, and you, you can get people involved such as IT team or an IR department and, and help you understand where it is that we are today. Part of the, the struggle would be is if you don't have anyone on your team that's able to ask the right questions. So if you get an IR team or you get a, you know, a uh, some sort of consultant or you get someone, you know, here in Rhodes Analytics, you get someone to help you identify what's even possible, right? Mm -hmm. So you, you venture into this world of predictive analytics and it's almost this, you know, it's, 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 it's out there. You don't understand exactly what it is. So you may not be asking the right questions or doing the right steps. So having someone that advise you on, you know, what questions should be asked and where should we be going? Because then once you've decided what do we want to do and where do we need to go, then you can put together an actionable plan that says, well, the first step of this is that we're going to need to collect certain data, or you might not even be far enough along. We don't even have a CRM, right? I've, we've encountered multiple of those from institutions where they're still using spreadsheets, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we, even if it's a, you know, you know, obviously there's the, you know, the, the, the sales forces and slates and all those, you know, the, the, the ones that are, you know, pretty common and, and uh, popular and higher ed, but even if you just get started with a small one where you may not have a huge budget, getting yourself started yeah. uh, and 
you know, here's where having someone that knows, um, you know, if, if someone's an expert in the area of either predictive or, you know, building CRMs and, 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 and harvesting data and doing those things, knowing what the CRM has available in it in order to say, yes, this is going to be okay for us, like doing custom fields, obviously that, that seems to be pretty, pretty straightforward. But if you didn't know that you needed custom fields, you might just get sold on a product and then be like, okay, six months in, we're, we're toast. We, we can't even put together these things, right? So uh, being able to have data structured in a, in a right manner and know the right questions to ask and, and to be able to go down that path and then once you have that infrastructure into place, uh, you can start to build out models or at least attempt to build out models. Do we have enough data? Right. And you may have enough data today in order to do uh, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot easier to do market data as opposed to granular data. Sure. When I say granular, we're talking about the prospect at the prospect, each prospect, you know, predictions. Right. But I can get uh, you know, I can get historical data and I can even pull those out of, you know, old you know, files in a cabinet if I need to. But identifying that data and, you know, putting together a plan that says, OK, Year one, let's do market data. Year two or three, we'll start to do more granular level uh, predictive. In the meantime, you know, once you've started to, to, to work through that, uh, making sure that you have the right team in place to be able to uh, take that data and do something with it, right? Whether that's your marketers or your or your counselors. So, yeah, I think the pitch, right, for anyone listening who's like, yes, we need to do this. This is you know speaking uh, my language. Uh, Gerald's, you know, speaking right into sort of like my pain point right now. I think the pitch is this. You go to leadership and you say, hey, in th three years, do you want to be able to personalize the journey to enrollment down to the individual prospect? Do you want to be able to do that, right, in a way that is most efficient, most effective, and least expensive as possible? W would that be good, right? And, you know, 99.999% of leaders will say yes. And then you say, great. Well, that in order to be there in three years today, we need to start with good data strategy. And we need to be asking ourselves these particular questions. And whether they do that internally or, you know, uh, get support from folks like you to help them do that. Like, I really think like that's the way in. Like, give the vision of what this looks like once it's up and running and then say, great, well, if we want that in three years, like we got to start now and here's what that looks like. Crawl, walk sure. before we can run. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the the, the, the ways that we help uh, pitch that vision is um, we when we give a demo of the system, right, it, it gives a vision. It, it helps people capture a vision of what could be possible. And so sometimes when we talk at high levels or, you know, hypotheticals or and we, we talk through. Uh, you know, strategic data plans and some of those things, sometimes people can gloss over, but as soon as a lot of people are visual, right? And so you can visually see what it looks like to have a prediction, um, to have, you know, that alumni power score. Uh, we even do a capacity index. Can they actually afford your institution? So actually visualizing it and say, okay, I want that. Then they say, well, how do I get there? So then you look through and say, okay, what do we do to get to that point? And it helps, you know, even at the, you know, a director, uh, admissions director can can go and and uh, help, you know, you know, pitch the vision to a VP, and the VP can take that to a president or whomever's, you know, making these decisions. And uh, so that's that's one way we help uh, get over that hump or that step because everybody's heard of 
artificial intelligence and everybody's heard of predictive and it seemingly is, is way out there, right? Yeah. Even, because, you know, AI is in the movies, <laughs> so yeah. it doesn't have to be in the movies. It's, it's right here in, in front of you. And, and, and so you can do your job better. Right. Well, also what's happening like across the board too, is that, uh, I mean, the smart colleges and universities too are, you know, your earlier point about just how competitive higher ed has become and just education has become in general. Folks are realizing like they've got to get really specific about their core value offerings, right? Like UVPs have never been more important. Schools are having very honest conversations with themselves around what do we actually do really well? And like, how do we do that better instead of trying to pretend that we do everything well? Because we don't, right? No school does everything well for every kind of student, right? Like that's just true. And the sure. future yep. of higher ed is going to have to be much more granular and much more specific with its value offering. And there's no way to know which students, right, which prospects are going to fit into that sort of like more granular, specific, uh, uh, unique value proposition that your institution, if it's not already going through these exercises, will be going through these sort of exercises soon. There's no better way to do that than to really understand, right, where people are coming from, why they're choosing you, where uh, folks are most likely to the folks, you know, w w the folks that are most likely to enroll, what are their their pathways to enrollment. And I do think that like, as schools get a little bit more specific here, there's going to just uh, need to be there's going to be like a huge uptick in demand for these sorts of strategies and frameworks. And so if you're listening, and you know, you want a little taste in the future uh, of the future, this is what the future looks like. And it's really important that if you want to be sort of ahead of the game that you start thinking about these things now because it's as you've said many times it's it takes a while to get there like it, this is a multi-year process this isn't something this isn't like a you know search campaign that you turn on tomorrow and can generate a bunch of traffic to your site right like this is a longer term you know it's, it's a marathon not a sprint um and yeah it's an important race so Gerald, this has been uh wonderful i really appreciate your time if folks want to learn more about this and just want to kind of pick your brain a little bit more about uh, the questions they should be asking, how to kind of set things up internally to have conversations with leadership about this, like, or if there's a VP listening uh, that wants to uh, get started on something like this, what's the best way for them to get in touch or to start um, to, to really just have a conversation with you? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I, I'm available in, in multiple ways. I mean, the easiest way is, you know, if you come away from this, you know, this, uh, this podcast and you can easily just go to our website inroads.ai it's it's very simple to get there um and just look us up contact us i get all the forms uh you know a couple other guys do as well but you know just get in touch with us and uh, we'll either call you or we'll email back and forth the other thing too is just find me on linkedin connect with me and i message people all the time on linkedin and uh so you know, there's no barrier to to getting a hold of me. You know, I, I'm very accessible. I enjoy having conversations, whether you're a director, uh, even a counselor. I, I, it doesn't matter to me. I'll have a conversation with you. I enjoy talking to counselors because guess what? There's a lot of counselors that move up to be directors and then they become VPs. So, you know, let's <laughs> let's get started early in your career. So, you know, that's that's okay with me. So just find a way I'm, I'm, I'm readily available. So yeah, and we'll go ahead and uh, link to you on LinkedIn and link to uh, inroads website in the show notes. If you're listening to this, okay. and you want to get in touch with Gerald and his team, just scroll down to the show notes and uh, click on over to their to their website or uh, connect with Gerald on LinkedIn. All right, sir. Thank you very much as always for your time. It's been a pleasure. And every time we talk, I, I learn a lot. So appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, thank you, Zach. I really appreciate it. And it's always good to talk to you.
you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there.